0: Good morning, everybody. <laughs> you know, um, when we worship, I uh, often experience different things, but I felt God's salome just now. His peace, his, that is His wholeness, His health, and His rest, and I feel just at rest um, as we worship together. It's good to be in His presence. It's good to be in your presence um, it's actually healing, and so I appreciate you guys being here, at least for me today. For those of you at home, you are missed. We can't wait to see you back here. Um, but uh, that was great to, to be able to worship together. What a weird, horrible week, right? And uh, probably like many of you, I have a number of things going through my head right now. Um, I've, I feel like I felt all the emotions this week. At the same time, I feel pretty disconnected from my emotions because it's just one terrible thing after another. I mean, we've had a tough year. I've got Monday's tragedy on my mind. The week before, we had the shooting in Atlanta, and many the Asian community are feeling very vulnerable. We had another shooting this week. It's just everything's disturbing, and it's pretty overwhelming. Am I the only one, or is others feeling overwhelmed? Yeah. It's just a heaviness to life, and it's hard to imagine that things could get heavier, but then they did. And um, it's just hard to, you know, find the right way to respond or to be hopeful or all those things. And so, you know, I've got Monday shooting on my mind, as I mentioned, probably you do as well. I've got um, on my mind the nearness of evil. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And, um, you know, I'm glad we're having conversations about uh, how to keep people safe and mental health. But... There needs to be a conversation about the influence of Satan in this world. Often what we label mental health is actually his work. People are vulnerable when they start to hate themselves or feel disconnected from others. And they're vulnerable and he comes in and he, he does his thing. He's the father of lies. I've got John chapter 8 verse 44 on my mind today. It's what it says. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That man on Monday had thousands of lies whispered in his ear, in his heart, over and over again. I'm tremendously saddened, like most of you, for the loss of life in our own city. I know many of you lost friends and people close to you. And so we have the victims on our mind and, and their families, and, and we're praying for them and we're wanting to do things that help. And, you know, by the way, thank you for those of you who came on, on Wednesday night and we prayed and, and we honored them and we prayed uh, for our city and for the victims. I know many of you were gone. I'll let you know there's a, another prayer vigil today at Vine Life. Some other churches in town are working together and they're hosting a healing um, worship service at 4 o'clock. It's outside, it's safe, you could go. In our chapel right now, we have pictures of the victims, and you can go in there and pray for their families um, as we're done today. I think that's an important part right now as we think of them. So we have the victims on our mind. I'm also very grateful. You know, there are a couple hundred people in the Cornerstone community who live in this neighborhood, and that's their grocery store. And I think about our family. My wife is in the grocery store literally every day. Part of the reason is we have four sons that just eat everything. So there's not enough storage in our home. So the grocery store is storage. But they're there every day, every week. And I'm grateful that no one in our community was hurt. I have mixed feelings about that, too, because the other 10 weren't so fortunate I'm grateful for Officer Tally and his actions, and the other officers saved lives. I'm grateful for two young men that are a part of our church who actually saved lives that day. So, Nevin Sloan, him and his wife were shopping that day. They were in the grocery store when the shooting started. We had other people that were there that morning and people on their way there, but Nevin was actually in the store. And when he heard the shooting, he got his wife out and told her to run, and then he came back in to direct people out. He's a hero. And I'm grateful for Logan Smith. Many of you have seen him on the interviews. As of Friday morning, he had done like 16 interviews all around the world. He's a young man that was working in the Starbucks that hid that, that old lady behind the trash cans. Nevin became a part of our community as a junior in high school and he started coming to our youth ministry. And, and he was here Friday, <clears throat> spending time with Gabe and with Jon Stewart and... Um, He's been so busy just doing interviews, I don't even think he's had time to grieve yet. But I'm grateful for those guys. I've also got on my mind today what this week represents. So it's easy to forget right now that today is Palm Sunday. And last night started Passover, which is our favorite week here at Cornerstone. So today we remember the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on an animal that represents peace. And people greeted him with Hosanna, God's salvation, God save us. So this is the week we remember and celebrate and re-enter into God's salvation, the hope of the gospel. Passover is also a story of salvation when God rescued the Jewish people. And he did it in a particular way. One perfect lamb died so that others can live. And of course, that's an incredible foreshadow of what takes place this Friday, right? A son, a perfect lamb died In place of others and the reason we call it good friday is because three days later jesus rose from the dead he defeated death he made his way through that grave so that he can make his way through any grave you know jesus is the one that knows his way through death and so because of that what happened on friday is good news and so i've also got all that on my heart and i'm and i'm hoping that we as a community can find ways to celebrate that this week even as we deal with all the heaviness I've also got our city on my mind. Probably like you, I'm wanting to be there for people. We want to be there for people like Logan and your neighbors who've lost loved ones. And I know part of being there for our city has to do with what God has planned for this church. You know, I believe in the providence of God. It's it's a big word that basically means that God can work things together over time. And so... You know, An example of this is decisions long ago by, that people made that aren't in this room affect us today, but God uses those decisions today, and he uses us, and he brings all those things together for his kingdom. 25 years ago, when God placed Cornerstone in South Boulder, he had Monday's tragedy in mind. Which means that when God placed you at Cornerstone, he had this season in mind. So I don't want to overstate this, but I do want to give a little vision that right now our community is placed in a city that's hurting to bring about healing and hope. And to help show the way that actually healing and hope occurs, because one of the things that's concerning is that in our city, isolation is often how people cope with things. And it just leads to more pain. So, I'm thinking of us and I'm thinking how God wants to use us as broken people, flawed people who mourn ourselves. I have Isaiah 61 on my mind. It's one of my favorite passages. It has my very favorite word in the entire Bible. I'll point it out here in a second, but this is what it says, starting in verse 1. And remember, Jesus spoke these words of himself The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated and they will renew the ruined cities." So those that are brokenhearted, those that are captives, those that mourn, those that grieve, those that have ashes as a way to describe what they're going through, they will be called, what does it say? Oaks of righteousness. That Hebrew word is the word ayil. It's my favorite word. And ayil literally means the strong ones. So the weak and broken ones are called the strong ones. And it's used to describe strong pillars that hold up a ceiling. It's used to describe the wise men or women of a of a tribe. It's used to describe the warriors. It's used to describe the strongest trees, the oaks of righteousness. But God is the one that does that. God is the one that takes broken things and turns them into strong ones. But here's the trouble. Right now, maybe like, like I do, you don't feel very strong. You don't feel very generous. It's hard to think of rebuilding anything right now. It's hard to express praise and joy. You feel empty. And so, although there is vision, what we want today to be about is that we know that we're not all doing all right. Many years ago, I read an amazing book, and we've used this illustration many times here, but it's really... Uh, relevant today. The book is called Shaping of Things to Come. It's a book about just how the, the church engages the world and our role in it. Um, there's an amazing illustration in there about what the church is meant to be today. And the illustration comes from the cattle world. And it's a contrast of two different ways to, to raise cattle. So in the United States today, the way we raise cattle is we build fences and we put the cattle in the fences and we keep them safe by having barriers. We have fences They can't get out. We keep them together. And the focus of, of that kind of community of the cows and that shared life together has to do with the boundaries. But in Australia, specifically in the outback, where things are very, very dry, all they do is they bring the cows together around a source of life, which is water, and the cows are smart enough not to leave. There's no need for fences. Because they're drawn to the life, they stay around the life, and they actually find each other around the source of life, which is water for them. So the way the illustration works is that, you know, you know in a church today, one of the things that we should try to do is we should try to remove the outside barriers. All those things that are hard for people to jump over to as they make their way to Jesus. And what should be more important than all the barriers, which usually shows up like rules and religion, is are they moving, are we moving towards Jesus? the source of life. So it's been a powerful illustration for, um, to, that's guided our community for years. <clears throat> but here's how I'm thinking of it today. So Jesus is the source of life. He was very clear to say, we are his body. We are the manifest presence of Jesus in this world today, filled with the spirit of God, called to be faithful to be like him. Not to be him, which we would fail to do, but to be like him, to be his hands and feet. And so our church, along with just about any church in the world today, is one of those sources of life. You, if you have the Holy Spirit residing you in you, is a source of life. And so we live with this like rustling of, I want to be there for people, but the well feels empty. Overwhelmed, tired. I know even during the pandemic, many of you have been incredibly generous And you've wanted to be there for people in your life that were not doing well, even while you weren't doing well. So I say all that just to bring no resolution, but to just, you know, there is tension. It's okay. It's okay to want to have more to give and not have it right now. We're a community that's gone through trauma. We mentioned a few things about trauma before I get to a few steps of moving through trauma, which is how I want to spend the rest of the time today. But a few ways to think about trauma. Um. If you spend time in the psychology world or counseling world, you know, they break down trauma, trauma A, B, C, D. I think it goes all the way to F or G, lots of types of trauma. Our community, your neighbors are dealing with at least three of the different types of trauma right now. So trauma A is the type of trauma that someone experiences when they don't receive something that they needed. Okay, so usually this happens in childhood. A kid didn't grow up in a safe home. A kid didn't grow up with the assurance that they were loved. It's the wounds of withholding. And so we can be traumatized because we don't receive something that we need. So think about the past year. We have an entire culture that's been traumatized because they haven't experienced personal connection. The smile of a friend, a hug, a holiday, a shared moment, time together. There are a number of people that are traumatized Type A trauma, because they've not received something that they need. We have that going on. And then there's type B trauma, and this is the type of trauma that you receive when you experience something that you shouldn't experience. And so an example of this is when a child is abused, or when a city is violated by violence, you experience trauma that you shouldn't experience. These are the wounds of aggression. This is when someone, either knowingly or unknowingly, says something stupid to you and it hurts. It can be trauma. There's different levels of all of this. But we're dealing with trauma A, trauma B, and then trauma C is event trauma, an accident, losing a loved one, violence in your city. And what we know about trauma is that if it is not dealt with, it becomes like poison. It will ruin the container if it's not dealt with. What we also know about trauma is that the Bible gives us Uh, tremendous resources on how we are to deal with it in such a way, not so that uh, it just won't poison the inside of the container, which is us, but so that we can actually move through that so that we can, as we deal with our trauma, we can also be generous with other people. We can be there for them. So I want to mention just a few things with the time left. Really didn't have completely changed the message this week. I told our team, I said, I don't even know what I'm really going to say on Sunday. But I want this to be about resourcing you so I want to remind you of a few things a few themes that we teach on a lot here at Cornerstone as we try to stay healthy stay resilient bring gospel healing into our life to be generous people to be ready for these things but to not ignore the the wounds that are uh, that we carry so a few things four of them um, I want to mention lament I want to mention our time together the importance of prayer and then the importance of sowing hope so let me just quickly go through each of those. A couple weeks ago, Gene mentioned lament. And if you've been a part of any of our healing ministries here at Cornerstone, you know this is a big part of overcoming our past. A lament is a prayer. In its essence, a lament is a prayer. It is meant to be an honest conversation between each of us and God. So honest that all of those negative emotions of fear and anger and sadness get expressed. They can be expressed with just screaming and yelling. Most of us, if you've grown up in an American church, you're very uncomfortable with the thought of lament because we are conditioned in the way we interact socially to just say, oh, I'm good, it's fine. I've been set free by God and we misinterpret what that means and we, th- we think it means that we no longer struggle. We also think it means that there uh, is no room in our faith to question God or to, listen to this, to even be angry with God. But a good portion of your Bible is filled with laments of sadness, fear, and anger, not just towards the world that people are living in, not just towards the other people that they have to deal with, difficult people, but towards God himself. That's how amazing our relationship with God is. He is so with us that he wants to hear our lament, even if it's about him. Now, that doesn't mean that God has done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that uh, we have a full grasp of all the things that he's doing. We don't. But it means that God is okay with us coming with the raw emotion that we have in lamenting. Aaron's dad uh, teaches on this whole process, and he has an illustration that's very helpful. He says, This is meant to get up and out, it's like shooting an arrow. it needs to get out of us and it needs to be directed towards God. And here's what happens if it's not directed towards God. Well, several things happen. First is this. We walk around as disconnected people, not understanding uh, the way the gospel transforms darkness because we walk around pretending that everything's okay. The other thing that happens is we, and this happens a lot to young people today, is they just eventually give up. They say, my life is not okay. I have doubts about God. I have trouble with God. And rather than saying that is all welcome in the journey with Jesus, they see everyone else pretending to be okay. And they say, you know, I'm no longer in the group. I'm no longer in the camp. I'm no longer with Jesus. When just the opposite is true. He's close to the brokenhearted. He mourns with us. He hears our laments. And so there are people that just pretend and they become disconnected from themselves. There's others that just leave the faith. Here's what happens if you hold those things in they eventually get out on other people. If you don't lament your sadness, your anger, your fear, it will leak out on other people. If you've been married for any period of time or have children, you know that it usually hits your family first, right? So when we say, hey, we have to go get alone with God, part of being alone with God is that we lament. We get it up and out so that it's not directed towards other people. Lament is a powerful tool right now for you and for others in your life. So there are a number of things that we lament, evil, the broken world, loss. We lament our struggle with God during times like this. Listen, all of it is welcome. He is that wonderful. He is that faithful. So we lament. Number two is there's an importance to being face-to-face, and this is kind of similar to lament. So lament is kind of getting it out towards God, but there's an importance about being with other people, almost just for the fact of having a place to vent, to share how we're doing, to share how we're struggling. And uh, one of the things I'm particularly worried about in our city is that people continue to retreat more and more to themselves, that there's more isolation taking place than ever before, when actually people need to be together more than ever before because of all the traumas that we've gone through. Most trauma is relational trauma, which means that healing happens relationally with God and with other people grace of a friend, the prayer of a friend, the smile of a friend, it becomes the manifest presence of Jesus in your life and healing can occur. I was talking with one of my my pastor buddies this week and he, he, uh, I don't even know how someone would do this, but he follows the social media influencers in our city. So I don't even know what that means, okay? (laughs) Should have been born in 1900. And... uh, He said, you know, they're trying to offer wisdom for all these people that are grieving. And here's the wisdom right now. Get alone, meditate, disconnect from all your emotions. Now, that is not wisdom. Now, there's something valuable about being alone. There's such thing as Christian meditation where we get quiet, we listen to God, we fill our hearts with uh, with his thoughts and the things he says about us. But this idea to get alone into your own thoughts... Your already anxious mind, your already depressed heart to get alone more than that. I mean, we're worried. People need one another. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the importance of community when dealing with trauma. Remember, I, I talked about how the United States military has a higher rate of PTSD than other militaries in the world, and even our, comparing our military to our military in the past. And one of the reasons for that is when our soldiers are done, when they're done going through all of that, they come home to an isolated, lonely community. And the only place they they process those things is in a clinical setting with just a counselor. There is no community to contain the trauma. So here's another example that comes from that world. In World War I, uh, we used to call PTSD with our soldiers shell shock. And the rates of shell shock during World War I were far less than what we experience today. And that is during a war that was, you could almost, it's hard to say something was more violent, but it was. The gassing, it was terrible. It was even more traumatic. But they experienced a lower rate of shell shock or PTSD. Well, why? Well, they actually had a plan and a practice, and it was called a hot wash. After battle... Or after they were taken off the front lines, they would come together and the soldiers would spend time crying together, laughing together, sharing glory stories, sharing horror stories of what had taken place. The very fact that they were with other people who were going through similar things and actually saying it but also creating and holding the space for other people to say it was healing and then, rather than getting on an airplane and being back home two hours later or three hours later and having to spend time with people that don't know what you went through during World War I and World War II, what they do? they get on ships, and they'd be on a ship for a week or a month, and they had room to process the trauma with others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 3 says, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. It goes on. What we receive from God, we share with others. By the way, what others receive from God, they share with you. So it's not just about holding space for other people. It's understanding that we're vulnerable. We're not doing well. We need to have people hold space for us. We need a lot of hot washes right now. So you see how those go together? Lament and then the face-to-face. It's similar, but they need to happen in that order. Third thing we see in scripture that helps people move through trauma is is intercession. It's prayer. When people go through things or they experience things or they're watching others that suffer, we want to help. We want to have wisdom. We, we, We need to sort out our thoughts. And as we pray and we intercede for ourselves and for other people, which simply is praying on behalf of others, asking for God's blessing for them. God uses that. And that too is part of moving through trauma. Because it allows us to not feel helpless. You know, one of the sad things that happens during times like this is, you know, it's just how the world is. Things get politicized and you see a lot of statements like, I'm tired of the prayers. All right. I understand what that means. People want action. They want certain changes to take place. But what it's doing is it's minimizing the power of prayer. Let me remind you, every major revival that's taken place in our country has happened after difficult times and tragedy. Now, I don't know what the cause and effect is, but I know what happens as people suffer, they begin to pray more and God uses prayer. First Timothy chapter 2, I urge you then, first of all, the petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people talks about the authorities and your leaders and one one another. And that God uses this partly to bring about his desire that all men would come to know Jesus. That all women would come to know Jesus. And so we pray during these times. And that's why it's not a waste of time to gather together. It's not a waste of time to go in there and, and look at those pictures and pray for those family members. God can use it. I don't know how he does, but he does. David Fritch in a book called Enthrones says this, Don't despise your small prayer gatherings. Even major revival, every major revival has its origins with a small band of intercessors, faithfully crying out. Small gatherings precede uh, great big breakthroughs. When we gather to worship and pray, regardless of size, we convene the very courts of heaven on earth. Our prayer gatherings are the most important and powerful gatherings in our city. And so I'm here today just to simply remind you of something many of you have heard of many times, and that is that we are to renew our commitment to prayer. And the last is this, and it's similar, so we pray for others because we want to help. But the last is the outward expression of this. And by the way, this is meant to come in this order too. We sow hope. Sowing hope means that we, we, come, we, we actually do things. We change things. We help. Uh, you get busy serving, you sacrifice, you, you, you begin to sweat for the good of other people. But the reason this has to come after intercession is because it's during intercession that God gives us wisdom of what it is it's to be the next step. I'm pretty tired of just like the talking points that come up every time things like this happen. I'd love for God to give us some wisdom about what to do. I'd love for God's people to provide the unity in the country. But we so hope. It means you begin to act in such a way that you are convinced that God's kingdom is coming. A great example of this, um, can't get away from telling you this, is the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, was the prophet that had to live through the destruction of Jerusalem. And so you remember, we're in a series called. Uh, a people in a place on Nehemiah. We're taking a break from that today. But that whole story is about when the Jewish people returned after 70 years in exile to come back to the city and rebuild it. Well, Jeremiah is on the front end of that. He's the prophet that is living through the disaster, the tragedy. He hears the enemy armies outside the, the, the walls. He knows that the suffering is going to be great. He knows the people are going to be hauled off. And he's one of the people that's left in the city to pick up the ruins. So he he's... The, Others are taken away, which is a horrible tragedy. That suffering was unique in itself when they went to live in exile. But there were some that were left behind. The city, the temple's destroyed. Loved ones are killed. Loved ones are hauled away as political slaves. And Jeremiah is one of them that's left behind, and he's suffering that way. And God tells Jeremiah to sow hope. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go out, and I want you to buy a field. Because someday, God's people are going to be back. Someday it's not going to be like this. I want you to sow hope. Jeremiah bought a field that he never saw developed. He never saw life planted on it. He never saw life return to it. But God told him to sow hope. That story, I believe, is connected to the words of Jesus when Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that someone finds in a field. And when that person finds that treasure, they go away, they sell everything they have, and they purchase that field. In the midst of suffering, God's people sow hope. They live in the present, they grieve, they mourn with others, but they hold on to hope. And they don't just hold on to hope, but they begin to act in such a way that they speed it up. N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite speakers, he said, today we build the kingdom. Every good deed done in the name of Jesus is not wasted. And he describes it this way. He said, every good deed that's done, every act of hope, every time you offer someone a a, a space to grieve what they're going through, you invite them into your home, you pray with someone, you act as a peaceful presence in 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 an anxious meeting, all of those times, every time you do that, none of that is wasted. It is like laying a brick Of the kingdom that won't be pulled up. One brick at a time. A foundation is being built. And so God's people sow hope. And so we have this internal thing. We have have the lament. And then we have the face to face. That we need to be with people and share those things. But then there is also meant during trauma. We are meant to be, be there for others. And so we intercede on behalf of ourselves and others. And we begin to sow hope. And so you know. We've got a a difficult several months here. We were already feeling this way. That's why we've been talking about loss and reflection the last several weeks during our series. And then this happened. It's okay to be an empty well right now. But God is faithful. He is with us. He wants to resource us. He wants to help us move through our own grief to experience healing. But he wants to fill us up so much that there is an overflow that reaches others. All right, I want to give you one last story. Where Aaron, you could come on out. And I didn't know if I was going to share this. But I think it's from the Lord. I think it's tremendously important that God's people are together. In this setting, you invite people in your homes this week for seders. Easter dinner together, just coffee with a friend, whatever. You know, people feel comfortable in different ways right now, but it's tremendously important that God's people are together. It's one way we make it through these things. This week, I uh, was in a meeting with a few other pastors in Boulder, and we were on a call with some of our friends in Norway. So long story short, many churches here have been in a learning community that's been facilitated by um, a ministry in Norway. And Uh, they were concerned for us. And so they said, hey, we'd love to just set up a time and be able to pray for you, pastors. And I can tell you that I probably received 50 texts or emails from different people around the world and around the country saying, we're praying for Cornerstone. Because these are people that know the proximity. And uh, this was one group. And so they offered to pray for us, and and, and we're praying. And and during the prayer time, um, the oldest guy from that church, his name is Martin. He said, I I wonder if it's okay if I share a word. And what he was simply saying is he felt like he got a prophetic message from the Lord that he wanted to share with us as they prayed for us. And Martin didn't know that we've been in a series on the book of Nehemiah. And Martin didn't know that I was going to take a break from the book of Nehemiah this week because of what took place. But Martin said, I have Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 19 for someone here. Let me tell you the context and let me read you the passage. During this moment in the rebuilding of the wall, Israel has been attacked by its enemies. So the walls and ruins, there's people outside the walls rebuilding the walls and their enemy is coming and attacking them while they're building. And so Nehemiah adjusts the plan and he says, you're to carry a sword on your side while you work and you're to take turns. Some of you are to stand guard while others of you work on the wall. Everyone was side by side. They had a job to do. They were protecting each other. They just had to deal with this evil that was around them. But that wasn't enough. It's not just enough to protect your part of the wall. They were meant to protect one another. And so this is what it says. It goes on. Verse 18 ends with this. It says, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Okay, so remember that. There was a man that sounded a trumpet that could be heard all around the city. And then in verse 19, it says this. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there and our God will fight for us. The people were widely scattered, busy doing their thing. They themselves were dealing with trauma. They themselves were dealing with loss and fear. And when the horn sounded, they all came running to be with each other, to protect each other. But I love that it says, you're coming to pro- not just to protect yourselves, it says, our God will fight for us. There's something about God fighting for us when God's people are together. The power of God, the protection of God is manifest when his people are together. So please don't wait to be the one that's invited in. Be the inviter this week. Hold space for others. Be vulnerable and ask them to hold that space for you. And this will just simply be the start of a long road of healing. All right. I want to close up and I want to give us some time to pray for one another and worship. So um, if the prayer team's here, would you guys come forward? Just come up front. If we have any elders or staff that would like to pray with others. Um, so we, we do this from time to time. We haven't done it a lot during COVID, but we'll do this as safe as we can. i are going to keep their masks on. We have people that are going to be here up front that would love to pray for you. This is coming together. And so maybe you need prayer for fear or anger today. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're questioning God, you're angry with God, and you just need someone to, to bless you. I mean, they're going to be up here to do that. I know I need it today. And so we're going to let us serve one another. And so if there's anything going on, you're overwhelmed in any way, you're praying for wisdom. If healing needs to occur emotionally or physically, whatever it is, you could come and and these friends would be glad to pray for you. And so let's stand together and I want to bless you. And then if you feel comfortable, you can just come forward and they pray for you as we worship. Father, most of all today, we're grateful for your presence. It is comforting, gives us strength, gives us clarity, gives us peace. We're also grateful that the scriptures are full of real life. You know better than anyone what it's like to deal with traumatic things, to deal with wounds and fear and sadness. And so we thank you for your help. I pray for our church, Father, that we'd be a lamenting church during this time. I pray that we'd be a church that's coming together. I pray that we'd stay a praying church. And Father, I pray that we'd be a church that's generous, sowing hope. Give us wisdom of how to do that. Take all of those things and use them because it is part of our healing. We thank you that that you are present with us. We thank you that you are leading. We love you. Let's serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.